probably one of the coolest things you can do is love your city in a contextual way, and I love that this is a thing that your church does because it speaks louder to anybody who may not ever step foot in this place. It's for you to arrive on their block and fulfill a need. Uh, speaking of fulfilling a need, you know how we started the service. Sorry, I'm suffering from the worst head cold in probably modern times. It's all right here. Uh, and then I was taking a mucinex and I got started, uh, and I'm hoping it's going to clear me out, but... Have you guys ever been, you guys ever seen a, an altar call? You guys ever been like in church formally, you saw, saw, saw an altar call happen? Yeah? Uh, an altar call is really basic. It's somebody from the platform like this and they, they call you to respond to something and that response has meaning to it. It's usually you giving your life to Jesus or declaring that you wanna re-up your commitment to the Lord. And we did it last service and I thought it was so necessary. We did like a reverse altar call. And the reason why it's so necessary is because like we had started the service off, it was, it, it's necessary to know that from my heart authentically and my family, we deal with things that aren't right. We deal with it face to face. And sometimes the difference of like three and a half feet can mean the difference between you knowing that I'm really just like you and you're probably a lot just like me. But Last Sunday, I had said things that were offensive to people, and I walked out of that sermon not even an hour later after this service, actually, an awesome old lady with pink hair came up to me and said, hey, I really want to challenge you that what you had said, it could have been delivered better. And I received that, and I, was, I thought, man, there was a thousand people that were here I was lucky that one of them came and talked to me. And through the week, I felt like the Lord had really like been speaking to me and I went to my own senior leadership and my executive pastors and my senior pastor who speaks everywhere and I said, help me figure this out. And I called Luis Palau, it was awesome. Uh, and then I had spent a great amount of time talking with your guys' board and it was really awesome to, to be navigated through as a young son. I'm 33, so I by no means have arrived at you know, what it means to be a communicator, but it, to me it matters that even off the platform, you guys know that I really care about your experience in church, and if you're gonna bring somebody to church, I want it to be a good one. So I'm gonna reverse altar call you right now, okay? Be ready, hold on to your seats, okay? So uh, I'm gonna ask you one question, and then I'm gonna ask the second question behind it. For clarity's sake, is there anybody here this morning that was not here last week, just by chance? Sweet. You guys are like, what the heck is going on right now? <laughs> Super awesome. Maybe if you're lucky, they'll post the sermon, if you're lucky. So uh, what you're experiencing now, if you've never been to church or this church before, it really doesn't matter. This is how like, family deals with each other. So it's a matter of family. So give us five seconds to like, deal as a family. Uh, if you were here last week and you were personally offended. I'd love to see your hand. Could I just see if you're offended? Thank you. And I want you to know that I was really sorry. And more than an, an apology, which is an easy way out, like I had said earlier, I really do want to ask forgiveness because that is the extent of what is required of us as a family. If new people are going to find family here, they need to know that they can arrive as is, dense and all. 
And I, I'm very much as is. I might be the most as is of us all. Do you ever go shopping at like discount stores, the dented can as is status? No? That's me. Whatever. You guys are richer than I am. So, okay, so um, I just want that to be clear. Like, I'm really sorry. And I'm thankful for the grace extended by your church leadership. Their heart is reconciliation. And last week we had talked the whole sermon about the heart of our Father, God's heart is reconciliation. And that's a big word that means he just wants us together. He wants us unified. And I love that OC United is extending that effort. I love that your church is riddled with these reconciliation efforts. And my story is no different in this church. So I'd love to talk to you afterwards if if you still would love to communicate. For all the new people here, you're like, what's going on? This is church, man. We get real. We get real, real up in church. Are you good? Uh, this morning, <laughs> literally, if I just pass out right here, you'll know why. Just somebody put a Kleenex over my face, okay? Uh, we're gonna go, we're gonna dig into two, two different books today. They're actually a... They're, they're complementary. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all about the story of Jesus. They're the books found in the New Testament. Literally, what they are are accounts of the life of Jesus, but from different vantage, vantage points. It's like a, the difference between a doctor, per se, writing his account of how he observes Jesus living his life versus just an everyday, normal Joe or maybe somebody who's grown up in the church forever under a very cultural Jewish perspective. That's the vantage point that separates out Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of them, they tell the, the story of one person, Jesus, but they have, they have these slight nuances between them because of the people that are writing in observation. So we're gonna leapfrog just a little bit. We're gonna be in Mark chapter four, but I'm gonna be referencing Matthew chapter eight also. So just prepare yourself if we're jumping back and forth. I wanna start actually at the top end. It's kind of like a buffer into where we're really gonna get into the text, but Mark chapter four, verse 33, we get this, we get this setting I always imagine like a movie, it's like a setting, the intro shot, fade from black. It says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them, he being Jesus, the word being the word of his father. And they were able, and he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. From chapter one, which is where we got started last week, understanding the basic call of Jesus is, I want you to follow me, and the reaction to you wanting to follow Jesus means that he will make you become something. And the goal and the hope is that there are, there are images of your preferred life or who it is that you know in you, you have the ability to be, but under your own strength, you really don't have the power to get yourself there. No matter how much you determine yourself, no matter how well you craft your life, there is a version of you that God intended you to be that only he can make you. And Jesus' promise when you determine to follow him, he says, I will make you become. 
It'll be my work over this journey, over this walk together. I'll be the one that turns you into the person I think in your mind you imagine yourself being. That promise is followed up by a, it's an ownership statement. And I love that in the context of fishermen, he says, listen, as much as you put into your work as fishermen, commercial fishers, the dedication, the time, the sacrifice, the bruises, the cuts, the transparency, all that you lay into this by way of your trade, if you could transplant that to your relationship with me, the dedication, the the bumps and the bruises and the awkward apologies and the confession and the reception and the reconciliation, if you would endure that, the, the actual substance that comes from it will be more people reconciled to their maker, less people in hell. If you're willing to go the distance with me and let me transform you into who I believe you could be, the, the difference is gonna be that there will be more people reconciled back to my father the way it's supposed to be. And so Jesus, from chapter one to chapter four, we're speaking in this morning, he starts gaining all kinds of popularity. And people are coming out of the woodwork by the thousands at this point, trying to get something from Jesus, although they don't necessarily know in complete clarity who Jesus is. They just know the guy teaches with fire, the guy is healing people where there was no hope for any sort of of healing, Jesus is touching and healing people, and now he's starting to to build momentum as a leader. And he calls 12, follow me, and he, he identifies them and he isolates them. He says, I want you guys to be with me. There's just a madness that starts to surround Jesus. So what he has to do now is he starts speaking in parable. And parable is basically like a great story. He starts telling stories and using analogies so that people won't just get the information off the top of their hand cheaply. It's forcing them to lean in and use their minds and, and go, what exactly does he mean when he says X, Y, and Z? And if you wanted to read for yourself Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have these great depictions of Jesus's his clarity on what it means to be in, in unison as a family through the use of parables. But for the 12, for the people that Jesus called and they said, we wanna follow you. I love that scripture. Points, it paints a picture that says, but to the 12, he explained everything. It's a characteristic of Jesus. It, it, it reminds me of like a campfire conversation and I don't know if you're like me, I, I sometimes read, and I read, and I'm like, what in the world did I just read? What was that, right? I read again, and I read, and I go, I read, and sometimes I stick it on my face, and I'm hoping that something's going to happen supernaturally there, but I just don't get it sometimes. And, and I love to think that in person, if you were walking with Jesus, and he goes, did you hear what I had just said? Let's talk about that. In, in an intimate setting, Jesus would unpack everything. Scripture says that he explained everything to those who followed him. And I think it's a great point to pick up before we dive into our full sermon is that the motive and the character and the things that we experience by way of God's permission, what he allows to happen in our life, Jesus isn't trying to play some cosmic game of hide and seek with us. 
He's not like, hey, come and find me. Ha, ha, ha. Ooh, you thought I was like that, but no, I'm not. Ooh, check, right? You're wrong. Uh, he's not like that. Jesus very much, here I am, and this is what I'm about. And you have to know him. You have to follow who he is in this, in the narrative of his life to understand who he is. But his intention for those that follow him is that you would know everything about him. He's not playing a game with us in our lives, in relationship to the the life that we devote to him. And that's gonna be important to know because what comes next is really challenging. It says this, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, this is verse 35 in chapter four of the book of Mark. On that day, same day that he's explaining everything to them, when evening had come, he had said to them, let's go across to the other side and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm and he said to him, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and he said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I love in the book of, of Matthew, the story is set up, and Jesus, his direction, his trajectory is to the other side. It's the Sea of Galilee, and it, it's not even that he's asking him to go to the short length of the other side, because the sea is built like a big goose egg, it's got a long distance and it's got a short distance and Jesus, as night is coming, is telling his disciples, hey guys, I wanna go to the other side. The other side means that if we were to divide a line here in the middle of this sanctuary this morning, did Jesus spend all his time on this side? Sorry guys, you got left out on this one. If Jesus spent all his time on this side, this would be his familiar territory. He's cruising through here. People know him as the kid that grew up now he's influential, he's teaching, he's in the synagogue, he's, he's mic'd up, he's teaching in chapel, but he's also roaming the neighborhoods that people know him and his family, and he's stirring up what it might look like to belong to the family of God that he's talking about. But the other side, the people over here, ooh, you guys are, ooh, you guys are shady. You guys are dangerous. You guys are on the side of the room that we don't really talk about or visit. And we're lucky if when we go home, we can make our way around you guys because it's just better not to like inter interact. The, the other side for Jesus' call is a, a pagan community. They, have, they, they worship multiple gods. They don't know the deep Jewish tradition that, that calls God's people by name and the relationship they've had with their maker the other side of the lake is very dangerous. It's threatening. It's not safe. It's filled, with, it's filled with a lack of understanding. And Jesus's determination is to go after the farthest, the most marginalized people. That is always gonna be Jesus's desire. You realize this as you start to get to know him. That while it's nice to be known, at the end of the day, he wants his father to be known most. 
And so he will go through and to the most difficult and the hardest people to get to in order to see his father's good news declared. And as these 12 have set up to be on journey with Jesus, to be in relationship with Jesus, they now have to endure the awkwardness, the unknown, the challenge as they make their way to the other side. This is really good for us contextually. You wanna know why? Because what is represented in the unknown and what happens to them on the way there is so much of where we are this morning. See, sometimes Jesus' leading will take you right into a storm. Hands down, no question about it. Sometimes Jesus' leading will take you right into the middle of a very uncomfortable place. And for, for the disciples, you have to imagine before they're disciples, followers of Jesus, they're trade commercial fishermen. Their whole life has been spent on the waters, rain or shine, drawing fish out of the water. And so for them, Scripture says that they, they pile into the boat. And I love the book of Matthew because Matthew's perspective, he's grown up in the church per se, and he's got a very clear understanding of who Jesus is. So if that's you, that is, you're like Matthew. And what I love Matthew's perspective when he writes about this engagement, he says that Jesus enters the boat first and they go to the other side. And as they're on their way to the other side to go after those left on the margins, the, the untouchables and those not like us, it says that there's a massive storm that arises and it's so intense that commercial fishermen who've spent their entire lives on the water are so overwhelmed that they think that they are going to die. The Bible uses the word perish in both. In Matthew, they say, Lord, save us, we're gonna perish. But in the book of Mark, it says, Lord, do you not care that we're going to perish? It's a question of concern for a group of guys who signed up week one to be all about this guy Jesus and week two find themselves smashing into uncertainty. There's so much, so much parallel in our personal walks when it comes to this narrative. Because you may have loved what you heard from the pulpit one week and now that you're applying it to your real life, you're realizing there's a lot going on. And I'm not even really sure what's on the other side of this. And I love as the storm begins to mount. It's in the middle of the night. It's, a, it's roughly 10 miles to the other side. So imagine... Imagine doing anything for 10 miles. Do you, have you, when was the last time you walked 10 miles, okay? When was the last time you did something with your arms for 10 miles? So there's a massive effort being put in by these 12 to get to the other side, and all of a sudden, they are so overwhelmed that they think their life is over. It would be like crashing water, filling this boat. If there's enough for 12, it's gotta be a good-sized boat. It's not this little, it's not like the boat is the size of the piano and I'm like, yay, this is so much fun. Jesus, it's big. And if it's big, it means that's a lot of water mass that has to get inside of it. And if there's a lot of water mass inside of it, it means that they are in bad shape. And they come 
crashing into Jesus, the Bible says, and it divides it. There's two things that it says. It says in the book of Matthew, it says that they, they went and they woke him. And then in the book of Mark, it says that they woke him and then they said to him. They went and then they woke him. I think there's two observations out of this, and you might think I'm splitting hairs, but I think there's something really valid about it, that we can know about Jesus, we can be in proximity to the person of Jesus or in proximity to Christians and think that we've got a sense of safety, but the reality is that those who know him and understand what he has to offer, they engage with Jesus. And I know this is true because there's an account in Scripture where there's a woman who is with a lifelong, she's, she is suffering for her entire life and she reaches and touches the cloak or the jacket of Jesus in context, in proximity with a bunch of people that are crammed up into him, mashed up, equally having the touchable access to Jesus, but her heart and her engagement with her Savior, the way she approaches him, is all the difference. I think there's a lot of us in this room who have a, a proximity to Jesus without having engagement with him. We have proximity without relationship. And these guys are about to test the limits of that relationship. I love it. They freak out royally. They royally wig out. The Bible says that when they say we are perishing, that is not a passive word for soon I will not be breathing anymore. <laughs> the word perish, the word perishes is dire and it's danger and it's certainty, it's certain death. They, it's the difference between them going, Jesus, I don't know if you see this, but there's water crashing in and the boat is not as awesome as it used to be and now we're supposed to be to the other side, but we don't even know if we're going in the right direction and Peter was trying to call AAA and we can't even get bars right now and I'm not even sure this is going to happen. Surely we will be at the bottom. And I don't want to be at the bottom right now, Jesus. It's that. Or if you read the Bible a little too often and give up thinking about it, you might think that it's like hey, Peter, why don't you go get Jesus and tell him the boat's sinking? <laughs> Glorious Father, who raids on high, I apologize that your nap is no longer as peaceful as it was. Surely you're aware that you are sleeping in a waterbed now. <laughs> Doth thou think that you could <laughs> rebuke heavens and earth for the sake of our lives going forward? Right? Sometimes I read scripture just pass, passively, passively. Oh, and they were going to die, and then Jesus stood up, and he rebuked the wind and the wave. What? A man is asleep, in the, and this is the problem. I always think, man, Jesus, why are you asleep, bro? This is your opportunity to be like, oh, oh right? Like just, right? I have a four-year-old, so I just imagine all things superhero, Right? I imagine the boat being awesome, levitated in the air above the storm. Jesus is like, see, this is how I see, right? You're so weak. Look at how awesome and strong I am. I love that Jesus, he's asleep in the stern. And I, I literally think if you, if you had the tour schedule of Jesus from chapter one to chapter four, you would be asleep in the back too. He's exhausted. 
The demand on Jesus is so overwhelming, and yet Jesus, with the guys that he called to follow them, has an opportunity to either respond really awesome or respond really human. And I love what scripture says. It says that he woke and he sat him down on the bench and he spanked him with the oar and he told him that they gotta have better faith and then he took him to the other side and he put him on restriction. What? Okay, it doesn't say that. It says that they woke him and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the sea. This is a picture of Jesus. You wanna know who Jesus is? When you come to him freaking out because your life does not make sense, when you're asking the question, God, do you care, period? Have you been there? I've been there often. Do you care, God, that my family is falling apart? Do you care that I'm 40 and my job is now in total disarray? Do you care, God, that my children are not growing up reflecting the life that I wanted them so badly to have? Do you care that my college education is putting me 80, 90, $100,000 in debt? Do you care? Where are you? I was just asleep in the back. You get this, this picture that Jesus doesn't want to be messed with. And for some reason, we believe, despite it being written in Scripture, that he wakes up and he punishes us because we freak out. That he wakes up and he's disappointed with us because we don't know what's happening. And the beauty is that Jesus is in their boat, and when he wakes up, the greatest lesson for any parent or the greatest lesson for any new believer in Jesus is that he does not, he does not punish those who come asking questions, freaking out. He stands up and he addresses the issue. Jesus wants to address the issues in your life. He wants to look at the scenario and deal with it, but you've gotta be willing to not just come in proximity to him. Oh, I go to church. Blessings. Have a wonderful Sunday. He, he needs more than that. See, because he's, he's got several hundred people wanting to be in proximity to him, but the ability to calm the storm is reserved really for those that are, that are eager to follow him despite what in the world it might look like. And I'd fair to say, I'd go even farther and say that when Jesus shows up miraculously in the physical, like, whoa, I don't know how that happened. It was not like that five minutes ago. We went to the doctor. There's nothing wrong. When that happens, it's typically because there is somebody on the other side waiting to give God way more glory in that scenario. See, when Jesus rebukes the storm and the sea, it, I just imagine it being like the most frantic in the dark full of terror moment, and he, he stands up. I love that Jesus is filled with compassion constantly for his people. He addresses the scenario, and the reaction by all of nature is calm. It, it goes from wild storm to fully flat, I could single ski on this water status, morning glass. 
And I love, I, I was reading about uh, some scientist or whatever was talking about this particular narrative, and he was saying that even if God could, could calm the wind, the natural refraction of the water would have taken several hours for it to smooth out. You ever, like, when I was a kid in our pool, we used to, I don't know why, I'm a terrible brother, but we, we would put my brother in the middle in a floaty, and then we would take boogie boards, and then we would, like, do this. Do you ever do that? So that, like, all of a sudden, your brother could get, like, literally tossed out of the pool, right, because of how big the waves are. We didn't have a big pool, but it was small enough that we could get him going and dropping around in it. And then, soon enough, your mom would come out, and your mom would be like, hey, Mio, stop doing that. Your brother's going to drown. And then you'd be like, sorry. How awesome was that, right? When you would stop, the water would still be constantly moving. And scripture says that when Jesus commanded the air and the sea to be calm, it was glass. So much, in fact, that in the Greek translation of this, it says it, it attributes it to a feminine character. It's smooth like a lady. That's real smooth. So you can imagine the disciples, oh, I can't believe it, we're gonna die. Peter, you're so awesome, I love you so much. Man, remember that one time? I'm super sorry, oh my gosh. Jesus stands up, hey, be calm, be calm, see, be calm. Oh, and I'm so sorry, it's just like, I just don't know what's going on. Oh. That was awesome. I just thought my life was over and now, and now I'm yelling way too loud. And as he calms the sea and he calms the air, now Jesus approaches the guys in the boat. And they ask him, teacher, did you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and he rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace be still, he says, and the wind ceases and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Jesus literally, in your boat, Jesus is challenging you to say, why are you still accepting fear when I'm with you in your boat? Why is fear the greatest thing that you hold on to when I'm in your presence? When I'm accessible to you 24-7, right with you? Yes, you are in a storm. Yes, this is challenging. No, you don't know how it's gonna turn out. But why is fear the first thing we grab onto knowing that we have the creator of mankind and universe in our presence? It's a valid question. It was a question I wrestled with brutally this week. The fear of just coming back. Seems petty and for me, self-preservation has never been like one of my strengths but I determined to know that God's got something on the other side of this experience that's going to bring more people to him than not. So you have to ask yourself this question. Yes, am I in a mess? Yes, are we going through something that none of us know how to answer? Are we experiencing great pain? Are we experiencing great awkwardness? Are we experiencing great trial? Am I, am I certain of the end? Absolutely not, but I know that I have a savior to cling on to. And the question is, if he's in your boat, why aren't you running and collapsing at his feet and saying, Jesus, I just don't know what to do at this point. And in Mark, he says, why do you have 
no, still have no faith. And I think that Matthew is actually a better translation of it. He says, why do you still have such little faith? I was thinking about this last sermon. Uh, mustard, you guys, you know, mustard, right? Mustard, mustard. Grape upon, that's the right stuff. This is, you beat me to the punchline, buddy. Okay, so here's the deal. Smooth mustard, no seeds in it, right? Fancy mustard, grape upon, like my man in the blue right here, has like those nice little seeds in it, right? Makes it feel better, I don't know what that's about. But those seeds are mustard seeds. When you think of scripture and it says faith like a mustard seed, I just want you, the next time you're laying down a ham sandwich, I just want you to be like, oh, that's what he's talking about. That amount of faith is what Jesus says, we can do miracles together if you bring that much to the table. It's very insignificant. You just need to bring that much to the table, I got the rest. I'll bring the ham, I'll bring the lettuce, I'll bring the tomato, if you like onions, I'll bring onions, I'll bring the bread, it's the good stuff, not the lame stuff. You just bring the little bitty mustard seed. We can have something amazing. And Jesus is asking his 12, listen, why is it that what you call faith is not actually happening right now. Because when you're freaking out, I'm hoping that everything we've been to up to this point is valid enough for you to trust that I have us in this thing together. I will not let you sink. Why is it that everything that I've done all the way up until this point, you may not have seen it, you may not have recognized me, but I'm just wondering if you have been kept alive to this point with the life that you've had, this momentary challenge, why is that faith not here now? It's a question we have to deal with. And then we have to give over to Jesus and go, Jesus, make it better. Give me more faith. I love that there's a dad in scripture that says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Man, that's as human as you can get in this context. For church, we should live there. We believe, but man, Jesus, help us with our unbelief. Help us to be more loving, more unified. You know that that word rebuke, when Jesus lays into the, the sea and the ocean, it doesn't mean that he, he cursed it down or he said, you know what, I've got a better version of it than you do. It means that you associate the correct value to it. That is the best definition of rebuke I've ever read in my life. Contextually here, Jesus reassociates the right value to, to the wind and to the sea. Imagine if our church together, when we issued out rebukes or when we stood on what it was that we didn't like, it was reassociating the value that it ought to have. When we said, listen, your life, it's gotta look a little different, but here's what's so great is there's so much here to have. I think we'd have, a, a, we'd have an attendance problem across America if the rebukes that came out of the church were reassociating value instead of diminishing it. And with three seconds left, I'm gonna run this like a Hail Mary. I think that the end of the line for these guys was not summed up in the fact that they were in it and it was a mess. I think there's something insane about the book of Mark because it says when we first got started that there were other boats on the water with them. And this is gonna be the kicker and I'm sorry I'm gonna go over. There are people who are in the exact same storm that you are in in your life right now. No analogy needed. What you're going through by way of trial, what your family is going through, there are other people that are going through that exact same unknowable, unforeseeable, riddled with fear scenario, and they do not have Jesus in their boat. 
They do not have Jesus in their life, and they're in the same exact storm as you. And I'm just wondering by chance if all the same freaking out that those people were doing, if you, by way of just having the Savior in your life, Jesus, could be a light and a beacon and an explanation that says, I don't know why we're going through this, but I'll tell you who I've got in my boat. His name is Jesus, and he's more hope than I ever needed. And my prayer would be that if you are freaking out and you've got no hope because you're going to the bottom and you're just looking to other people who have no hope, that you would see the guy that's in my boat because tonight he saved me. Because today, I don't know the answer for tomorrow, but at least I'm, sit, I'm sitting, resting in his peace, in his love, in his acceptance, in his value. You guys might be sitting in a scenario where you've just been begging Jesus for an answer to, and I'm telling you this, maybe the answer is that you've got him and there are other people in proximity to you that don't. And the best thing you could do is say, I'm accepting where I'm at and the challenge and the storm I'm in, but I've got Jesus, and I'd love to introduce you to him because your night might get a lot better knowing that you've got him too. And after service, there's a place in the corner here where you can learn more about Jesus, but I gotta close it down two minutes over. I apologize. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you reconcile us. Lord, that you make, for those that love you, every terrible scenario gets worked out for your good. You get glorified, Lord. I pray that we would find confidence in knowing that despite not knowing what kind of storm we're in, Lord, that you're with us. Lord, would you illuminate the people in our lives that don't have you in their boat. Lord, would you give us the confidence to share the love and the faith and the hope we have in you with them. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you, guys.